you know, I'm going to be doing a couple shows on this topic. I think that'll be perfect for this for this advertiser. You know, maybe we don't have the Breath Mint one ad in this episode where I talk about the porn industry and the scathing review, whatever. Well, that's where you want Breath Mints. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen to that voice. These days, the comic book owns pop culture. Literature, movies, television, even music. You'll find it all in the panel of your favorite comic book. Us, we're living the comic's life. We're breaking the panel. Welcome to Breaking the Panel, where we go inside of everything you need and want to know that is nerdy and awesome. And as a tweet recently said to me, keep it geeky and the nerdy nerd. So that's what we're going to do here with Breaking the Panel today. I am the rock out of podcasting, Charles McFall. And Joe Caseda wrote in and said that Brian Ibbett is going to be here today. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Except that's he pronounced awesome. it Quesada, but you know, hey. What? Well, he wrote it, so I didn't hear pronunciation. Oh, you know how that goes. Tomato, tomato. Right. You know. <laughs> then my favorite, favorite movie of this week is Paul Klotz and the Two Strings. Paul. Oh, yeah. My my guitar gently weeps for how bad this <laughs> intro is. Oh, come on, come on. I got one more. I got one more. In the underneath is Chris Wisdom, but you can't hear my Ouija board wall, so we won't have him on today. Sorry. Oh, is he in the upside down today? Poor guy. Does he have a big old, well, we won't go into that. <laughs> a little no slug coming out of his mouth. We can say that. That's not a spoiler. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. So we've got some great whoa, stuff to whoa, talk. Whoa, Calm down, Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. I'm just excited. I'm on a roll today. Let's do this thing. It says, Superheroes for Science. Marvel comic book covers promote, it says, Steam Fields. And Emmett, you brought up a good thing, isn't it? STEM? And I thought so, too. Mm -hmm. But according to this article, let's see. It says, they've added art, which is oh, the A. Good. So well, it's science, good. technology, engineering, art, and math is the um, thing. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then it kind of gets you confused in the geek world with Steam. Like, are these people going to be developing for games? I don't right. understand. Which actually could fit, but whatever. So they do, in this article, give a great cover that is beautiful. But what they're pushing is this logo in the bottom of the cover that says, in bold letters, which I thought, good, because if you just put STEM or STEAM on something, people won't know what it is. It actually spells out science, technology, engineering, art, and math. And Marvel Entertainment is kicking off the new school year with a special release of new comic book covers that promote science, or well, we, you know, STEAM, while featuring five of its favorite classic superhero characters. They'll hit the shelves in November, but Marvel has released a sneak preview of some of the cover art, which you can find on Newsarama. This is on science.com or space, sorry, space.com. But I love this moon, a girl, and devil dinosaur where she's got this massive uh, telescope strapped to devil dinosaur's head. And in that telescope, you see Galactus, mm -hmm. which is very, very kind of cool. Because <laughs> if there's anything stable, you want to use a telescope uh, on <laughs> a dinosaur's head. Yeah. <laughs> it is a devil, a devil dinosaur's head. A devil dinosaur's head, yes. Uh, no, no, really. right? He's yeah. like this. <laughs> and you notice the rope to hold it down is going through his mouth, right? You know, so that can't be comfortable. But I, I love the idea of getting a younger generation involved in these arts. Now, of course, the obvious go-to is Spider-Man, mm -hmm. right? And it looks like it's the Miles Morales Spider-Man. And let's see, latest Marvel characters also make appearance on the new Steam covers. The math Steam cover features Gwenpool, which that's kind of an odd choice. Uh, you guys know what Gwenpool is, yeah, right? The, the Gwen Stacy version of Deadpool, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, where she's actually a person in the universe and gets pulled in the comic book, so she knows she's in the comic book. And Oh, really? Oh, so super fourth wall yeah. breaking. Wow. Yes, yeah, super fourth wall breaking. Because uh, she was cosplaying, the whole story goes, she was cosplaying as Gwen Stacy and uh, as Deadpool and somehow got pulled into, I haven't actually read it, but I've had this explained to me many times, uh, she got pulled into the comic book, so she's a cosplayer, and now she's Gwenpool in the comic because that's how that works, and <laughs> yeah, super fourth wall breaking. That's funny, have not heard about that, so uh, 
great. <laughs> so that's on the math seam cover. And then the science, the engineering cover has a female teenage science prodigy, Riri Williams, take over the role of Iron Man with her new name, Iron Heart. And it didn't tell us the other ones right here. But what do you guys think about Marvel actively? We know geekdom inspires reality, right? Inspires people to do science and, and technology and math. Uh, it can it can definitely inspire those things. But what do you think about them actively taking these steps to push those fields? It's certainly, uh, you know, you can't say anything about it other than that it's positive. Well, I mean, you can say other things about it. But I mean, it, the, you know, first and foremost, this is such a positive thing. Kids are reading the comic books. They're interested in science. And this will kind of help further that, further the science and technology and engineering. I mean, the art the art thing is a weird addition, but um, I guess it 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 keeps the acronym going, like it increases. Uh, you don't want to call it meats, right? And, and <laughs> but uh, do you think it keeps it steaming ahead? It keeps steaming ahead. Well done. Um, no, I mean it's it's such a positive thing. You know, it's <laughs> it's just. Uh, I hate it. No, I'm <laughs> I, hate, I hate education. <laughs> uh, well, you know. A little known factor uh, to some people it might be known. I've uh, I've studied to be an educator, uh, though I did not finish my degree in education. Um, and so, you know, STEM fields, as I'm accustomed to calling them, mm -hmm. uh, right. it has been a big focus. Uh, you know, basically the last five, six years or so, there's been a huge push uh, to push STEM fields because they're often under you know, under supported, they're, you know, underrepresented. Um, a lot of people go to college and go for liberal arts studies and not so much for specialized studies, uh, you know, that require, uh, you know, some advanced skills and, uh, you know, science and technology, engineering and math. Um, but I think it's great. Like, I think Marvel seems to realize here that they have a platform and they have an opportunity. And one of the beautiful things about having a platform and an opportunity is you can find a cause that is in this way, like like Brian, you just said, I mean, who can complain about a company like this promoting education and, mm -hmm. and highlighting it and bring focus to it? Um, so I think that's great. And I think Marvel, you know, maybe more so than many entities out there is actually pretty adequately placed to do this you know like they they have such a stable of characters that use you know science and technology to supplement their their superhero activities and that they you know there's so many characters in the marvel universe that use critical thinking and you know inventiveness and all of that to overcome obstacles and i think it's a fantastic opportunity to point that out to kids and maybe, you know, we, we joke about this, the steam logo on the front of these, um, cause it's a little different than what we're used to, but maybe that's going to spark some interest. Maybe that's going to cause some kids out there to go Google. What is steam? You know, mm -hmm. what is, what is this all about? What's going on? You know, at first when you, when we first heard the acronym, I was like, what it's, it's supposed to be STEM. And then I was like, well, you know, the interesting thing is art can, you know, engineering, for example, can be art, right? In, in some ways, design. Right. Yeah, such. that's the thing. Like design, graphic design, those kind of mm -hmm. things would fall under art, and that's still science. Even even coding, like HTML and CSS. Mm -hmm. I mean, I consider that to be an art and technology field. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's it, we. You know, we when we look at some of the most amazing technological advancements of the last decade or two. I mean, you look at you could call what some of the some of the biggest developments have been like what apple accomplished with the iphone for example mm -hmm. that is a combination of programming but also elegant art i mean there's there's something about the device there's it changed the landscape it paved the way for you know the world that we have today so you know there there's definitely something at play there um, and now that I'm thinking more about it, though, I'm like, you know, the the beautiful thing is that art is actually being pulled into a lot of these fields a lot more now, particularly, you know, it, being a gamer, art is a huge deal in games now. And, you know, people have to go into that field like you're not going to just be an artist. You're, you're potentially going to have to be someone who understands character modeling, which involves, you know, a fair amount of math and and uh, engineering knowledge and all that kind of stuff. So there's it's a much more broad uh category now than i think it ever has been before and there's a lot of opportunity out there for people who are interested in it so maybe this will spark some uh, creative types to really 
jump into these fields that could use their talent. So I think it's great. Bravo, Marvel. Bravo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with, with, with small kids coming up. Um, there's a focus on females in this field because it's, it's such a hard field for them to get into right. and be supported with growing up. They're very underrepresented. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my youngest daughter actually went with me to dragon con Sunday. This when we went on that Sunday and she's the geek in the family and she loves doctor who and, and all this other stuff. So to have her have that supported in a good way. I mean, we, there's a, a fest here in Georgia, in Atlanta, put on by Georgia Tech, which is one of the larger science-based technology schools in the in the nation. And they put on science. It's not called Science Fest. I can't remember exactly what it's called because my wife does all these things. I just go along. But it was a lot of amazing things where where kids of all ages got to go in and and have science be cool mm. and see stuff. One of the cool things we saw was a freaking pancake robot. Okay, so you put in your picture, and I'm, I'm talking about like Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones picture, and it puts it the computer deciphers all the code, and then it's like 3D printing a pancake, right? And it just pours the batter in just the right way that it comes out looking exactly. So the the, the things that need to be darker get uh, colored or get uh, dropped in the pan first, so they can heat up and cook while the the lighter colors. I love that. I love seeing stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, and and it's that kind of thing that that really excites me. So I I was very excited to see this headline. We reported uh, I don't know how long ago it was. I don't know if it's quite a year ago, but there Marvel actually hosted what is it a contest is what they hosted, and it was for people to come up with. I think it was only for girls actually, but for females to come up with a great, cool, futuristic thing. And we we talked about it here on the show because that is an amazing thing. Uh, you know what, Clutch, you trained to be an educator. Uh, of course, Emmett, you came up. Uh, we all were educated at some point, but you also raised a kid <laughs> through high school not right. that long ago. Yep. yep. This wouldn't even have been, I dare say, five years ago, this would have been almost ridiculed, if not even never thought about, right? You think? I think. Uh, I don't know. I think. Yeah, kind of think. People love positive ways to introduce. Ten years ago, this would have been a pretty out there concept, but now, now the last five, six years or so, for sure. Uh, basically, since uh, we we transitioned out of the aughts, uh, there's been a, a really big push for STEM uh, because of, of the need. You know, there's there's so much need out there. There's so many firms out there who need talented, passionate young people with with skills and a desire you know to to explore and come in and you know and bring fresh perspectives and such i mean i i have some close friends who are engineers and one of the biggest problems they face in the field is that they have a lot of old guard floating around you know like a lot of folks who have been engineering there you know for 50 years sometimes you know craziness you know um and they do things there you know the old way and you need fresh blood you know you need fresh perspective you need you know, people who are passionate and innovative and they need to come in and, and take, you know, you want to shape the the experience and the knowledge of the, the folks who have been around for a long time and then bring in the new perspectives and create new things. That's how we get, you know, advancement. That's how we move forward yeah. as a society and how we, you know, get incredible technological growth. I mean, just think of, you know, the, 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 I mentioned it, the iPhone, but like the smartphone in general, think of what that's done for our lives, mm-hmm. how much it's changed everything about it. Yeah. I mean, 10 years ago, people didn't have a computer in their pocket. I mean, they might, a few people had something that resembled a computer, but not to the degree that it is today. Not, not what we carry around. I mean, this is, we're living in, you know, sci- literal science fiction mm-hmm. of 10 yeah. years ago. Um, yeah. so, and that is from, you know, people being creative and innovative and, and pushing forward and we need more of that. Um, and I, I you know, it's, this is a topic we were going to bring up a little later in the show, but I'm reminded of, uh, I was watching the behind the, some of the behind the scenes stuff for Kubo and the two strings, uh, which is a stop motion animated film. And so this kind of ties into the whole science technology and art thing. Mm-hmm. One of the most remarkable things that I noticed about the behind the scenes work for Kubo was that they are using technology with traditional stop motion techniques. So, for example, there's there's a big skeleton, 
giant monster in the film at one point. And that is a giant, I mean, literally huge <laughs> model that is connected to robotics. Right. And so when they're, when they're creating the scenes, they're using computers and robot, you know, robotics to manipulate the model itself, but the model itself is still handcrafted. I mean, it's literally like the frame is welded on out of like, you know, just metal and like, uh, mesh and stuff like that. And then they, they put the, like, I guess it would be like paper mache or something like that on top of it. And they, you know, it's just all the behind the scenes stuff is showing this incredible artistry that is being combined with incredible artistic skill or I'm sorry, uh, scientific skill. With, you know, robotics and computer enhancements, I mean, they can take a scene and have, you know, all of the stop motion and then also enhance it a little bit with computers to add some special effects that don't take away from the beauty of this really, really traditional. I mean, stop motion's been around forever and it was really like, it's very classic, you know, it has a certain look and feel, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, so that's absolutely an example of this kind of thing, you know? A place where people who are knowledgeable for science and technology are implementing it in a very artistic way and creating these phenomenal projects. You know what I mean? Like where it's just there, it's so much, the world opens up so much more when you're able to do something like that. I mean, can you imagine, you know, what they're able to accomplish now because they have robotics and computer yeah. enhancement uh, in their disposal? So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, this is. It's it's exciting stuff. I mean, and we've come a long way. Like like I said, in the last ten years or so, it's it's really blown up, and there's tons of opportunity out there. Uh, if any of our listeners are you know young folks who are in high school or junior high even or uh, college, there's if you're artistically minded and you're but you're also studious and willing to devote yourself to science and technology, there is opportunity out there for you. There are firms that are begging for you yeah. to, to come degree in hand and, you know, come contribute. So for sure, this is great. And I, I really, really am excited that Marvel's getting behind this because it's one of those things that could definitely use more exposure. Absolutely. Another way to get people excited in this kind of thing. And I, I'm not him fisting a transition. It literally is loot crate. Yeah, you get these things as a kid, <laughs> mm -hmm. and it excites you. I mean, I'm the little kid who grew up, in, and that's why I'm in the computers and audio and everything that we do is because I watch those things on TV, and you can get that in a box every month. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now I ham-fisted. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, I mean, it gets you excited, and my kids love that. I get them loot crates for a while. Just uh, encourage them to to – as rewards, right? To do better in school, to, sure. to be more geeky. And, and oh, you know, oh, you want to watch that uh, History Channel thing? No. If you don't watch Doctor Who, you're not getting your loot crate. So Wait, that's how what? we use it in my house. What? <laughs> Get ready for September's high-octane theme. Speed! This month's loot crate has a high-octane assortment of goodies from Batman, a CW's A Flash, and Arrow, Battlestar Galactica, Iron Man, and gone in 60 seconds. If you, <laughs> what, really? I, I know. Every time we laugh, I right. know. I was I know. expecting the flash. <laughs> I was not expecting gone in 60 seconds. That's happening every time all we run right. up on the show. Yeah. We have to bring the show to all. I will say they put out some artwork uh, to promote this month's box, and it's got a really great – it's all hand-drawn stuff, right? So it's not just scenes from a movie. But they've got a really great drawing of a car from Gone from 60 Seconds. They've got uh, the Flash as a fast car. They've got Bat uh, a stylized Batmobile. So it was a, it was a cool – I was like, okay, I kind of get the feel for what you're going no, to. I'm looking forward to seeing how they do it. I love, uh, you know, I just uh, I love hearing this. It just uh, – that one kind of threw me for a loop. You, you know, there's some – products that you always expect from loot crate like your marvel yeah. your dc game of thrones stuff like that so hearing it's another another franchise is is definitely exciting love it so you've got brian a bit until the 19th at 9 p.m pacific midnight eastern to subscribe and get your speed box Ooh, oh that sounds like a whole a speed box yeah yeah get your loot crate <laughs> speed themed box let's do that that's better and then but when it when the cutoff happens it's over and right. you're not going to get it so make sure you head over to lootcrate.com forward slash giant size team up and there's your code giant size team up to save three dollars off of any subscription now guys i know we've all created content uh, on youtube we've done all kind of different things have and we're not going into the YouTube changes. This is a different article. Have you guys ever been flagged or knocked for any kind of 
copyright infringement, perhaps. There have been times, yeah, I mean, you know, you do a show that that features covers that sometimes can sound a lot like the originals, even though you've got the permission from the artist, you're paying your ASCAP, your BMI, your CSAC dues. There are times that YouTube's little automated robots say, well, that sounds a little bit too close to the original Allman Brothers version of that song, and and you get flagged, and and, uh, you get a little warning, a little slap on the wrist, and uh, you just have to figure out ways around it or figure out ways to, to deal with that. Sometimes it's just letting it go. <laughs> right. And I know, I know there's the challenge thing. And Facebook Live is now doing it as well. They have their little analog or uh, not analog uh, algorithm robots out there just checking the computer, the beats per minute, the notes in this order. And it's even more ham fisted than YouTube's because YouTube is like, oh, well, it was just banned in Germany or they're, they're making this claim. So all monetization will go to that person instead. And if you challenge it, you only get three challenges to lose. If you challenge it and lose, that's one strike. After mm. three strikes of losing, your channel's banned. Oh, wow. Yeah, on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you, your better choice sometimes is to not, like you said, to get around it and not do it. Yeah. But what if, what if the owner of the content banned themselves? What? <laughs> this is from September 6th. I, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I look. Well, this came across my desk last night. I laughed and laughed and laughed. Like, oh, we got to sure. talk about this. Warner Brothers flagged its own website as a piracy portal. <laughs> it gets better. Just laugh all you want. It gets better. Right. Film studio Warner Brothers has asked Google to remove its own website from search results, saying it violates copyright laws. It also asks the search giant to remove links to legitimate movie streaming websites run by Amazon and Sky, as well as a film database, IMDb. Wow. The request was submitted on behalf of Warner Brothers by, I think I'd say Vobile, V-O-B-I-L-E, like mm -hmm. mobile with a yeah. V. Yeah. Um, a company that files hundreds of thousands of takedown requests every month. Now, this is a company that works on behalf of Warner Brothers, right? The self-censorship was first spotted by news blog Torrent Freak. Yeah, of course, you know, they're going <laughs> to spot the self-censorship. They got their watchdogs out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We said Vobile had made some glaring errors. In one request, Google was asked to remove links to the official websites for films such as Batman, The Dark Knight, The Matrix, and The Lucky One. Licensed online movie portals such as Amazon and Sky Cinema, Cinema were also reported for copyright infringement. Jeez. So Warner Brothers is inadvertently trying to make it harder for the public to find links to legitimate content, which runs counter to its intentions, said Ernesto van der Sar from Torrent Freak. But that's out of the BBC News, and that's the end of it. I've got no follow-up, got no response, you know. But how crazy is that, is that your watchdog company that you hired is shutting your own site down? Cop, pull, uh, cop pulls over cop for running the stop sign. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, even better. No, the cop, man, what would be better? It'd be something that the cop could do legally. I guess if they're going less than sirens, they can run the slap side legally. But yeah. Kotz, what's your take on this? Uh, it, it's very clear that what's going on here is pure laziness because they're automating mm -hmm. all of this. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. This is something that's come up in the past with YouTube and its content management system and how it detects copyright infringement. It's something that comes up on like Twitch when people are playing games. Uh, it, it, like it's absurd. I'm sorry. It, the industry has gotten so obsessed about trying to protect their copyrights and like avoid infringement of any kind that they're hiring out to firms that aren't exercising due diligence they're just using software to automatically detect everything and that software here's now here's the the issue that software is clearly just automatically sending requests out to right to pull it that it, exercise proper diligence here have somebody at the helm and i'm sorry if if you get you know several thousand hits you're gonna have to review them i, I mean come on you're talking about like requesting that your own website be pulled. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It, and it's in, but like, what about the, the websites out there that are doing reviews? What about the websites that are out there just discussing right. something, doing news for a new film? You know, 
there is so much legitimate content out there. What about fair use? Fair use is a thing. It's a very important thing. Fair Mm -hmm. use exists so that people can provide critical perspective without the threat of censorship, without the threat of, you know, legal action. And that is not what this is. This is the exact opposite of that. It's just blanketing everything. I mean, it's, it's guilty until proven innocent and it's absurd. And those fair use things are going to get hit by the same deal. I mean, it's, you know, if it's, if it's blanket sweeping all of these other, these Warner Brothers related links, you know, it's going to be getting parody. It's going to be getting, oh, yeah. uh, critic, uh, critical review and educational uses as well, which are all yeah. fair use. Yep. Yeah. But wouldn't it be fun to be that person at Google going, well, Okay. Are you <laughs> sure? <say> so. So. <laughs> Are you sure? Okay. You know, there have been times that, or like, okay, the Facebook shutdown that I had, I was testing out my new camera, and the first time I tested it out, the speakers were far enough away from the camera that while you at home listening could hear a little bit of background music, maybe you can make out what it was, but you saw the point was, I'm just playing with the camera, and I'm doing trivia, and that's what people wanted. They wanted to answer trivia questions. The second time I tried to run it, the speakers were too close, and you could clearly hear the music, but if you're a human being, you're going, okay, obviously, you're not running music as a copyright thing. It happens to be there, and for the most part, you're just talking over or turning it down, but algorithms don't do that. I mean, it just shut me off. According to the audience, it's just like, I disappeared into a black hole. The broadcast stopped. The broadcast went away. They couldn't find it anywhere. And I had to go to a special place on Facebook. And there was the only recourse you have on Facebook currently is one click. And it says, hey, this seems to be copyrighted material. And you can challenge it if you like. They don't phrase it as challenge. They said, basically, you can request the owner to look at it. Mm -hmm. But if they decide to do it, then you're in trouble, mister. (laughs) Well, that yeah, that's that guilty until proven innocent policy that I'm talking about. That's how it is on YouTube. That's how it is in a number of different places. That is, I'm sorry, I'm going to get up on my soapbox here for a second. That's wrong. If you're not monetizing your broadcast on Facebook, for example, right. you're not violating any poli- you know, like any laws. You're not stealing their content because you're not you're not generating income from it. You know what I mean? That's fair use. It's just it's music that's playing in an establishment that you happen to be at. You're not, you know, you're not generating right. income from what you were doing there. You were you were share like we said, you know, you were sharing a, a bit of fun. You were sharing your trivia with the world. I mean, come on, this is ridiculous. Like, at what point do we draw the line? At what point is enough enough, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, and I, I completely respect, you know, a copyright holder's desire and need to protect their copyrights. I get that. Mm-hmm. Because if you, it, especially if you don't defend them, if you don't defend them, you don't get them anymore. Eventually, you know, they'll be stripped from you if you don't exercise, you know, enough diligence. But, like, this is crazy. It's insane. Like, come on, guys. Like, come on. Right. And I don't know. I don't know why Facebook's like that, man. That's crazy. Like you're mm-hmm. not. I think it's, it's fear because they're doing this whole new Facebook Live, and they just wanted to hold a really tight rein on that, just to avoid any kind of. That's my take on it. I mean, Facebook has got to be like one of the worst places for rampant stealing of content, anyways. <laughs> I mean, we call it viral when you steal on Facebook. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, I mean they they still make all their ad money, right? You but you don't get a cut of it. So what the hell? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so Emmett, you obviously, you know, you deal with copyright issues because of, of your show Coverville. Uh, what, what's, I know you've put in some two cents, but what would you do to change this? How would you fix this? Well, the only way to do it is with manual intervention. Um, it's got to be uh, either the algorithm needs to be adjusted to be able to isolate specific sites that are Warner Brothers related or, or on a more of a global level related to the entity that put them up. So if I put up a Coverville thing, have it tied in with those licenses that I'm paying for, the ASCAP BMI CSAC, as well as the the label connections and, and stuff like that that I have, and say, all right, does it meet any of these things? Great. Then this is a then we skip over this one and we we worry about other infringements on other things. That's the way to do it and still keep it automated, although it's a lot of work on the the front end to automate all that stuff. The other option is uh, is kind of like what Klotz was saying, manual intervention. It needs to be somebody that goes through and reviews this and said, oh, our Batman v Superman making of documentary video on YouTube is getting flagged because it's infringing our Warner Brothers rights. We put that up there. I guess we should probably, you know, not <laughs> call it an infringement. <laughs> Having, you know, I think spending the time to work it out 
on the back end so it's more of a global thing and not require businesses to manage their own intellectual property violations within their own site, I think is a far, far better thing than, uh, I mean, I think it's far better to do it as a, as a technically, technologically than it would be manually. Yeah. Um, because that would force all these businesses to have to monitor their own violations and see which of them are are their own properties, which of them are their own um, their own uses of their own content. It's a mess because I'm with both of you guys. Artist deserves the rights to their created content. Mm-hmm. Now I know there's some hazy shades of gray there, clots, and and that there's depending on what it is. It's not always you don't always have to make money to violate the copyright. I agree. I mean, if if I'm not making income on it, if I'm not growing my brand because of it, because I can I can grow my brand with your content for free and not make money off of that, but then I make money on this other side. Mm. You know, I, I understand. It, it is it's it's a new frontier that we're still working out and still figuring out the ins and outs of, uh, so, so that everybody can win. And that's mm-hmm. I think that's what I want to move towards. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that. Bigger labels want to move that way, but you know, we'll see right. what happens. Well, I mean, obviously, the the music and the film industry have been reeling for about a decade now from what digital distribution has done to them. Yeah, and they're you know they're not. I, I mean, the music industry is taking a pretty heavy hit, but it's not like the film industry is in complete freefall or anything. But it's definitely not as lucrative for them as it once was. Um, Though some would argue that that just means that, you know, they can't put out the same drivel that they used to put out and expect to make money hand over fist like they used to. They have to put out really exceptional content or people just aren't going to support them. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of cutthroat now. It's kind of competitive. I mean, there's there's a lot. I mean, look at the movies in the last few years. They keep reporting like they're they're, the, the tentpole films are bringing in more money than they've ever brought in before. But all of the other films are bombing left and right. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like the your Avengers, your Civil War, stuff like that is breaking records. But every other release is doing horrible. So it's it's rough. It's tough times. And so they're they're trying to stop. You know, they're they're trying to put their fingers in the dam. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's uh, but they're they're a little excessive. They're they're heavy handed. We kind of reported on this a little bit before when we talked about the. Um, Fear of the Walking Dead thing yeah. on YouTube where they, for some reason, AMC had somebody going around hitting all the content yeah. for Fear of the Walking Dead, but not for the the, the original show. Um, so the thing is, that hurts you in the long run. Like that, if you're going after people who are generating content, you know, reviewing or discussing or exploring your content, you're killing word of mouth. And if anything, you're going to create a negative sentiment. I mean, Think of the damage that is done when you, you know, throw out an automatic, you know, DMCA claim or a copyright infringement claim on someone who's doing something to support you. They're not going to want to support you anymore. They're going to tell all their fans that you've done this and then it's going to be bad PR for you all around. So I really think the industry, I mean, if you're going to police yourself this this heavily, you need to have somebody at the helm making decisions on whether you pull the trigger or not. And that is clearly not happening right now. I agree. Any last thoughts on this one, Ibit? No, I think we I think we pretty much covered it. Well, if you would like to have your two cents put in, we'd love for you to go to Facebook.com forward slash breaking the panel. This article is there. You can comment on it directly. You can tag us on Facebook is at breaking the panel because you can do that on Facebook. Now you can throw an at in and then we'll get tagged. You can message us. Of course, email is great, BTP at giantsizeteamup.com. And then on giantsizeteamup.com forward slash breaking the panel, we've got a speak pipe button. You can call in by using that. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So we just got back from Dragon Con and so much going on. There's too much to cover, but I figure for this show, for what we do with the comics, I've got one great story that I've not actually told anywhere else that I think you guys will get a kick out of. Uh, last year, Ibit, you came, and you and I were going to try to go to the DC versus Marvel trivia, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But it happened to be at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and we had other things going on. We're was on a panel or something, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, that's right. Well, this year is at 7 p.m. on Friday night. All right, I can get to that. Now, I go in expecting it to be like the standard trivia experience. You have a team. You sit around tables. They ask questions, and you write down your answers, turn them in. The one with the most points wins. Mm-hmm. As I recruited Jeff Randall of MCU Cast, was there all weekend. I tried to uh, actually recruit Ellie Collins, who has been uh, with us on the show before. She was there this weekend 
and she had a migraine kit and I was like, oh, well, you know, me and Jeff, we can knock it out. We got a lot of trivia in our heads. We can knock it out. What's well, more Jeopardy style. So you go into this room, it's full of people. They, they gave a little bit of history of it. When they first started, there was like 10 people and at its height of this particular event of the, the DC versus Marvel. They've been doing it for 15 of the 30 years. This was the 30th anniversary of Dragon Con. They've been doing it for 15 years. So at its height, they had over 300 people in a room at a time doing it. And I would say we had probably 50 people in that room, but it's Jeopardy style. So they bring up three contestants, right? And they have a system of red, yellow, and green. If you get get it right three times, you get the if you get three greens, basically you get a permanent green and go on to the next round if they have one, which they never do because they only have an hour. It's still limited to a panel time, which is ridiculous. Right. Uh, so they try to get everybody in. And then, you know, you can flunk out three reds, you're out. If you don't, if you don't try to answer, right, if you don't get the answer, you get a yellow, so on. So you time out, basically, with yellows. And they're pulling up people. Everybody's raising their hand, and they're pulling up, and they're asking the questions. And me and Randall, we're just on it. I'm just, we're just naming things. If it's a little too obscure for me, he had it. If it's too obscure for him, I had it. I'm like, I'm very proud of myself because what am I? The card carried filthy casual of everything that we do on the internet, apparently. <laughs> and I am nailing these answers. I think I want to make up a number. But I'd say out of a hundred questions, I probably got ninety of them right. Wow. Not a lot more until. I get called up to the table. <laughs> I get called up to the table and I get a question like, what superhero team has been in um, something mountain is something mountain and the uh, fabulous four plaza. For, what is it? Four plaza. The fantastic four was in what building? I'm trying to remember. I, I said fantastic four. Is Baxter building. What? Yeah. No, 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 no. They're at something four plaza. Oh, what the addresses of the yeah, building? something four plaza. Isn't it Freedom? Free, uh, freedom for, for Freedom Plaza? For, for, something like that. Yeah, yeah, so it's like, what superhero team has been in, I can only think of Cheyenne Mountain now because of Stargate, but it wasn't, some mountain and for Freedom Plaza. And I dinged in, and I said, Fantastic Four. That's not correct. It was the Thunderbolts. And the whole room mm-hmm. went, oh, except for like five geeks. Uh, Jeff Randall actually came up right behind me, so we were at the table together, and... They wanted to know on the Thor The Dark World Blu-ray edition, what is the short film that was made? And he dinged in and said, Hail to the King. Like, what is the short film that was made mm-hmm. that and it was wrong? He's, and it's this obscure question. And what they wanted was the the movie about the Mandarin, the one shot about the Mandarin. It's like, why are you asking the hard questions? So where's my Supergirl question? They literally, before I got up there, I said, this show originally aired on CBS and now it's on CW. I was like, are you kidding me with that kind of question? But anyway, it was, dude, if you, next year when you come, we got to go because it's just a fun time. And Klotz, if you come as well, of course, just to see what you know, have fun answering it and seeing the energy of the room is really positive. Nobody gets booed. Nobody gets made fun of. And it's a lot of fun. And I almost bought cool. you something, Ebbett. They had the first <laughs> 10 years of questions in a book uh-huh. that they were selling. Oh, really? I, yeah, it's like, man, that'd be great for Ebbett. The man who has everything wouldn't have. But I, I was like, but if the questions are this simple, Ebbett would be like, oh, well, that's nice. You know? I was like, I want yeah. a deep trivia for you, man. You're like the trivia king. I would have liked to have seen it. I mean, it sounds like um, it, sounds like it was kind of a mix of really easy stuff, but also some really hard stuff. Uh, so it would have been cool to see. I wonder if they've got that book available on the uh, on their site or something. But uh, you know, you never you never know what to expect because I mean, everybody's got their own little microcosm of what they know trivia wise. Right. And then, um, and of course, there's that old adage: it's way easier when you're in the audience than when you're up on stage. Yep, one hundred percent can attest to that. Interesting. I would have liked to. Yeah, would have liked to have seen it. And uh, you know, next year at Dragon Con, uh, hopefully, yeah. I will. I my most proudest moment was I actually had a deep cut comic reference. Mm-hmm. It was uh, Ronan in the comics. Ronan married what member of the royal family uh, to appease? I forget the rest of the question, but I knew it was Crystal because mm-hmm. I that was one of the it's things that we went through the War of Kings with Uncle George. Right, we right. got to that. Like, oh, I know that. That's like a deep <laughs> cut comic. And I, 
See, you learn things from MAA. Yeah. <laughs> we'll oh, I totally oh. screwed up Lockjaw. Because, like, on the uh, Pet Avengers, what animal has teleporting device or teleporting powers? And I knew it was him. I could see the head of the dog and everything. And I could not remember his name. Mm. Uh, that one, that, you know, those get you, right? Those make mm-hmm. you, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. All right, Klotz, what fun stuff are you want to talk about with Kubo and the Two Strings? Well, speaking of uh, the movie industry, you know, having some flops, I wanted to discuss the fact that uh, Kubo and the Two Strings is not doing super well. And this ties into a couple of previous topics we've talked about before, particularly one about advertising. I think we discussed this a little bit last week, and if I'm repeating myself at all, I apologize to everybody at home. Um, but I saw a great thread on Reddit last week about how Kubo was being advertised on television as just a quirky kids comedy, mm-hmm. you know, like, like you're, you're not quite your Shrek per se, but something along the lines of that. But certainly Disney level kind of, you know, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, as a whimsical mm-hmm. affair, um, when it is anything but. Yeah. I mean, so far above that, I think. Kubo, uh, if if you're if you're interested in the genre, if you're interested in high quality children's entertainment, um, Kubo is one of those movies that I think is gonna for many folks is gonna transcend the rest of the pack. Uh, it is as what I discussed earlier in this show. It's stop motion enhanced with some computer uh, graphics occasionally, but it's this incredible project. Apparently, it took them like five plus years to to film the the movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Gee whiz! I saw one one of the videos. I think at one point said that uh, to film six seconds, I think it was, or three seconds, something like that. Three or six seconds of footage takes them about a week, which is insane. You know, I mean, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, uh, they're in the film, there's a big fight scene on the on this boat in the middle of it, in the middle of the second act. And that scene apparently took them like seven months to do, which is crazy. Wow. But uh, I wanted to throw it out there because this is like one of those interesting occurrences where we have this great film that's out there. Uh, and the people who've seen it, like in my circles and that I've seen on the Internet, most of them gush about it. And... But it's not doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's purely – well, not purely, but it's predominantly a word-of-mouth film because of the way it's being marketed and because it's a sleeper uh, – it's a sleeper company just in the fact that it's not Disney. The fact that it's, you know, that it's outside of Disney it, – is, is it DreamWorks? Is that right? Or No, it's like it's, it's, the, it's the company that did uh, – Coraline and Trolls. Right. And it's got that same kind of feel to it. And what I love, the thing I said to Tina uh, as soon as we walked out of the film uh, was that it's the best Miyazaki film that Miyazaki didn't have anything to do with. (laughs) It's got a very Miyazaki feel to it in that kind of magic and wonderment and um, fantasy that is so well done. And right now it's got a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is huge. It's such a huge thing. Obviously we know that Rotten Tomatoes isn't the end all be all, but I think people should probably ignore Rotten Tomatoes for things they're excited about when they have bad reviews. I think that you can easily look at Rotten Tomatoes for things that get good reviews because I think that people are more critical when they're on Mm -hmm. Rotten Tomatoes. So if it's got a high rating on Rotten Tomatoes, um, then it's probably really really good and it and it, it just is i mean there's but it's just got to be such a word of mouth thing it's just got to be like you're saying you're seeing all your friends on twitter raving about this film and facebook and stuff and that's what a movie like this almost has to rely on if it's not going to be able to rely on um marketing from the actual movie studio so uh, you know, let that be a, let that be a call out. If you've seen Kubo and the two strings, uh, talk about it on face on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and talk about how much you enjoyed it. We talked about it on the morning stream, um, uh, Tuesday morning, yesterday morning, and just raved about it. But we were very careful not to release anything because there are some, some very, some big spoilers related to, uh, uh, to the film that you just want to stay away from, but so good. Go see it. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I really love about it is I like children's entertainment that has like a strong morality play within mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. Um, or has really good lessons. I like the fable type stories. You sure. know what I mean? The, and this is one of those stories without giving away too much of the story. It, it teaches 
the audience, whether you be a child or an adult, to really cherish the time you spend with your loved ones. I think that's maybe the the underlying theme throughout the whole film. And I, I it does it in such a beautiful way. Um, but this film is kind of melancholic. You know, it's it's very it's not it's not what it's being advertised on. Like it had a number of I, be, I guess they spent a lot of marketing uh, budget for Olympics during the Olympics. They made a big push. Mm. And a lot of those Olympic spots were very upbeat and super positive. And that's not necessarily the film that it is. I wouldn't say that it's as uh, as like dark as Coraline. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. It, 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 it's close. Yeah. Um, it's not as dark as, for example, Tim Burton stuff where, you know, it, it, Corpse Bride and yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is in, the, those films are incredible, but they, they have a certain nuance to them. You know, they have a certain vibe and it doesn't resonate with everyone, though. I do find that those are generally wildly popular. Um, I think this is very similar in that regard. Um, it's it, the film has received a little bit of criticism uh, for the uh, the voice acting. Um, particularly in the fact that it's a, this is a essentially a Japanese story. Um, it's you know it's set in Japan. It's playing off Japanese myth and uh, storytelling, and it has an you know all Western cast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that that's entirely fair um, because I you know most entertainment that comes out of the East you know that comes out of Japan, for example ends up with an English dub at some point and generally has, you know, Western actors doing the English dub. Um, but I, there is some fairness, uh, Matthew McConaughey being one of the voices in this film, you know, it, I heard somebody criticize that his, uh, his, you know, Texas drawl was coming through <laughs> very strongly. And I was like, he was trying really hard though. <laughs> you, like I, you, yeah, I did not, I'm, I'm totally honest here. Did not realize it was McConaughey until, the really? credits were rolling at the end. Yeah. I could pick out Charlize Theron. I could pick out um, George Takei, obviously. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> they don't, they don't uh, try to hide that one at all. But uh, yeah. McConaughey, no idea until I saw the ending credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he was trying. I could tell he was trying very hard to keep the drawl out as much as possible. Um, but anyways, I wanted to highlight it because I think, it, you know, we talk about a lot of things on this show from time to time. You know, we talk about advertising. We talk about critical reviews, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, stuff like that. And this is one of those films that is just like there's so much tied up in it. Um, but if you're if you're interested in really creative, really artistic entertainment especially children's entertainment uh by all means check it out um though i will say that there's probably a little bit of a threshold on how young your children should be if you're going to bring them into this because there are some some pretty scary parts uh it's funny because we were talking about this on the show and then somebody separately reached out to me on twitter say how old would you would you say and i'd say it's not necessarily an age thing it's you know it's just a maturity level thing or or how much they've how much they've seen i don't think there was anything in there that was scarier than the you know darkest parts of uh, the first Finding Nemo movie with the sharks. You know when you first see the sharks, it's like oh crap. But it's you know there's there's two I would say two big bads in the film that are somewhat frightening on screen. One of them is done in a very comical way. We talked about the big skeleton that is mm-hmm. while it's a big skeleton with glowing eyes, it's still rendered in a very comical way, and I think that that's. Uh, yeah, that scene is very exciting. Yeah, you know, um, the the uh, yeah, there there's the one of the main villains, if you will. Mm-hmm. I'd say because it's plural. Yeah, I mean, if your kids have seen the Avengers, it's probably on that level, especially the first one. Well, I, I think uh, the one that immediately popped in my head after you said uh, Finding Nemo was Lion King. Oh, sure, right. And, you know, because Lion King has some pretty strong themes in it and it has some very dark scenes, particularly a lot of the stuff with the hyenas and uh, Scar. So if you're if your kids have seen the Lion King and they made it through that stuff, mm-hmm. then you're, you're pretty much in the clear here. Um, but it is definitely a little bit more mature than your average uh, child film. Um and it's not really fair to call it a children's film entirely because it is such an artistic accomplishment. It's so beautiful. Um, and it, it, there's there's something there for everybody. But it, it's definitely not your Shrek. Like, it's not a film that has a bunch of in-jokes for the adults and stuff like that. The uh, I did see some criticism out there that the, the comedy that is present isn't necessarily very 
sophisticated and that's fair because mm-hmm. that's really not where they were going they were trying to i think they were trying to like release tension occasionally throughout the story but not necessarily make it a you know a slapstick film um but yeah uh so yeah you know if you're out there if you've seen it and you have some feedback write into us you know if you have some anything to say because i really wanted to bring this up and see if anybody else had any strong feelings on it particularly i was delighted to hear that you liked it brian mm-hmm. loved it yeah because it's one of those examples that just flies under the radar sometimes that i feel like you know when you have a platform to explore such things you have to highlight them occasionally and, and see what comes up so uh, yeah if you have any feedback hit us back Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear it. All right. Well, we're going to be right back with one last thing to discuss. But if you will hang out for just a second and listen to these awesome ads from people who are helping keep the lights on, we would love you forever. All right. We're back. And now forever is just 10 more minutes. So you'll get our <laughs> love for that. All right. Uh, we've all heard about the YouTube changes with their advertising program. This was a big thing that kept coming up at the, all the panels uh, in Dragon Con that had anything to do with monetizing. And why don't you guys, I think, Claude, you brought this one to the table. Why don't we start the discussion there? Okay. Well, so basically, um, at the end of August, there was a big change with YouTube's uh, advertising monetization policies. They updated their terms of service, and they started flagging content on YouTube as not suitable for like advertisements, basically. Um, and the reason I wanted to bring this up is because this ties into what we were talking about earlier with, you know, the, a little bit of copyright stuff, because it's not, it's not really so much about copyright, but it's about, censorship, you know, really God. right. Censorship, the, the democratization of the internet and, and something like YouTube, YouTube being such an incredible tool. I mean, YouTube's come up on its, I believe it's just past its 10 year anniversary now. And it's, uh, I mean, we talk about things that have changed the world, right? YouTube has changed everything for a lot of us, you know. Uh, there's so much content out there. There's so many people who have a career creating content on the Internet. And that's what really jumped out to me is uh, today I saw videos from uh, Philip DeFranco, who is a wildly popular um, YouTuber uh, who does, like, a lot of general news stuff and some criticism and such. Um I saw Boogie, um, if you're familiar with the Francis videos. He's the, the portly gentleman who, you know, people see the Francis videos. They see him acting all crazy. That's all a character, and that's that's for entertainment. But he has a tremendous amount of videos where he discusses social issues and things that he's gone through. Uh, for example, he's, he's a very large gentleman, and he talks about his health and his issues with his weight and how people have treated him and such. And he's also discussed really serious topics like suicide and suicidal thoughts and all that stuff and he stood out to me because he released a video uh, just a few days ago where he talked about how about six of his videos were flagged by YouTube and they said uh, we're disabling the monetization on these videos because they're not suitable for the advertisements my response and I want to hear what you guys have to say about this but my response is what what like (laughs) what is going on here like I mean it's this is this is crazy right like the whole idea was that people could produce their own content, and if people were watching it, they would be justly compensated because people would see the ads that played. Now, does this come from mandated from the advertisers themselves saying that we don't want to be associated with stuff that's got strong language or graphic content or, or stuff like that? Or is it purely being facilitated by YouTube? Do we know? I don't think we know at this point. It comes mm-hmm. through YouTube. So YouTube sends the messages, but it right. seems like it's an automated flagging system, just like their copyright infringement system. Basically, you get a notice and you have the you have the opportunity to challenge it. You know what I mean? It's hitting a lot of content producers, which is incredible because, I mean, these are people who have made YouTube what it is. You know what I mean? I mean, you talk about Philip DeFranco. He's, he has to have made YouTube a ton of money, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many? I he, gets, so, yeah. he gets millions of hits. You know, a lot of his videos are viral. The same for Boogie, the same for a number of other people out there. And they're all talking about it. So it seems very interesting. Well, the fact that, you know, you give the content creators the ability to say, hey, I don't want to have cigarette ads or political ads shown in my content. You've got that ability, you know, when you're signing up for for the channel, you can actually say these things are are things I don't want to show advertising for. So it seems like you know, the flip side of that would be the advertisers saying, all right, I don't want my breath mint ad to appear in YouTube videos that have such and such, you know, swearing. It seems like there should be a way to to make this happen that's a little bit more transparent. And 
opens up for a little bit more, if not negotiation, then a little bit more management and throttle or not, uh, uh, um, not throttling, but um, uh, management and uh, accommodation to where you can say, all right, um, let me do, you know, I'm going to be doing a couple shows on this topic. I think that'll be perfect for this, for this advertiser. You know, maybe we don't have the breath mint one ad in this episode where I talk about the porn industry and the scathing review, whatever. Well, that's where you want breath mints. Oh. <laughs> hey, listen to that voice. But, but having it in another content where, or another piece of content where it would be more appropriate, it seems like it would be a good, a good way to do it. It's been an interesting path that YouTube has taken when they first started monetization, when it became widespread that anybody like me or you could create a create stuff and get verified that we've been using it for a long time. Because if you don't remember, if you, if you're, Newish. I'm in the last few years new to YouTube. You used to be limited to ten to fifteen minutes until you mm. somehow got a big enough audience that they verified you and you could go longer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ad stuff came in. It's been all this growth, but I did notice it's like you just randomly roll ads. There's no rhyme or reason to it. You know, I might be getting on and doing. I used to do life as it happens, and sometimes I'd go on a rant because I was just newly laid off and struggling to grip my emotions about that and the stress of the family everything else and i'd go on this long rant about life sometimes and then you're gonna run a uh oh, i can't remember which vehicle where life is good but like chevy chevy life is good you know <laughs> it was just the right reason to and, and and now this is almost like a full hard swing back right there's no middle ground whereas for lack of a better example, Blueberry, you know, I worked with them in the early days when they started bringing in advertisements and it was just tech stuff. And I was like, hey, I do an adult based show. I swear we talk about openly talk about sex stuff. We are not in your face like Al, uh, Stern is, but we are very much we would benefit from an alcohol sponsorship. I just saw Hornitos Tequila on Hulu sponsoring a show. Hmm. Can you get me that one? Like, hey, that's a great idea. We'll try that. But that's a human being. I think YouTube is still trying to manage this stuff, mostly 90% through computers. And that's the problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. You know, it, it's it's really interesting because... There, I listen. I, I frequently watch slash more listen to than watch uh, a style of video. If you guys aren't familiar with it, I'll explain it briefly. Uh, it's called ASMR, um, and what it is is it's these videos or like trying to relax or fall asleep and they're generally soft-spoken they have all kinds of sounds and such that are soothing or meant to be soothing um you know kind of like your background noise type stuff and and some are weirder than others because i know fine brothers did a, a whole video about it relatively recently and but the thing about it is the, the environment for these films, or not films, but these videos, is that it's supposed to be calming. It's supposed to be relaxing. You're supposed to go into it, and you know you're, you're gonna you're gonna be lying in bed, and you know your eyes are half shut, and you're like, oh, well, let me put on this this video and listen to it as I as I fall asleep. And what I find infuriating is YouTube has these stupid commercials that are cranked to eleven. Right. You know, they come in, and they're like, hey. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you, what are you doing to me? Like, what is going on? Stop. I'm wide awake now. Thank you, YouTube. Thank you. Um, and so a lot of the content creators for ASMR have had to stop allowing the, allowing the ads to play on their videos. They've had to turn away from the monetization because it was ruining the, the whole vibe of mm. what they were trying to do. Um, and it's just like you were talking about there, Charles, why is there not, you know, why don't they have the ability to reach out to somebody at Google and say like an advertising specialist and say, Hey, can we find some stuff that's targeted for like my audience? Can we find some ads that are maybe a little more low key and not so crazy? Can, can I have some control over the, the volume level of these ads as they play at the beginning of my right. video? Because having them at 11 isn't working for my audience. And so I think really what this kind of highlights here is that if YouTube wants to stay relevant, and I, I mean, obviously right now they're kind of the unshakable giant, but like if they want to stay relevant and they want people to continue to use their platform to produce and put out content and have people flock to it, you've got to adapt and you can't keep using these broad strokes. You can't keep it because you're making every time they do something like this, you make it harder and harder for the established YouTube personalities to produce their content and and have it provide them with an income, you know, that is a living. If you're doing that to your biggest stars, 
what's that going to do for your up and comer? You know, what's that going to do for your person who's looking to break out the person who's, you know, making pennies, but is like slaving away, trying to, you know, break in, you know, and break out and make, make their way. Well, so I I hate to cut you short, but we are running short on time here and I got to take off. But one of the simplest answers was from people like Brian Brushwood and Bill Duran was like, go straight to your audience. You know, whenever you take ads, whenever you rely on system like like Google's AdSense or with YouTube, the ad insertions, when you rely on that for your income, they control it. No matter what you want to say, it's their platform, it's their deals, they control it. If you can find a better way to get paid for creating your content, you know, such as going directly through to your audience, and that's what you should do. But right now the lights are blinking. I think Chris is in the underneath trying to get some kind of message to us. <laughs> I believe that message is 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 it run or is it Taco Bell? I can't quite tell what he's spelling <laughs> out here. It's I, I got the runs from Taco Bell. That's oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Chris got in just slightly too late because we were right at our timeline. But thank you for trying, Chris. We really did miss you this episode. I, I, sorry, guys. And that's too bad because I really wanted to talk about something real quick. But I guess. You know what? Hey, you know what you can do? You can record it or call me up later this week. We'll work it out to where I'll record it for you. We can record something. We'll put it on our Patreon page oh, cool. for Breaking the panel, there you go. and they can hear your thoughts. That would be a great way to handle that. That's a little inside baseball. We'll see if it uh, see if it translates. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, any last words before we get out of here? Go see Kubo on the two strings. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> until until next time. I, what? How do you sign off the Twilight Zone? I forget. Rod Sterling. Well, he didn't. You just got the. Uh, get well, the he'd choo. say, uh, and this is what happens when you're in. The Twilight Zone. Breaking the Panel is the flagship podcast on the Giant Size Team Up Network. You can support the show at patreon.com slash breaking the panel, and you'll find more of our amazing podcasts at giantsizeteamup.com. Giant Size Team Up.